If you've ever been to the rodeo, the bull riding competition is about staying on the bull and not crashing and burning until the bell rings eight seconds in. And if you hear the bell, you've won. Um, so this morning, I taught the elementary school class because Laura's at the women's retreat. And I can tell you, it's kind of the same experience. <laughs> it's 45 minutes, and then a bell rings, and you get to get down and go, oh, I made it. Um, and, uh, and so, I, man, I'll tell you, I was doing great. I was like, I'm just nailing this class. We should just about be done. And I looked at my watch, and I was like, 32 minutes to go. All right, this should be... <laughs> How the cowboy feels after three seconds, I guess. I don't know. Um, so it's good to be here with you guys. So uh, we're talking about God's faithful presence. Uh, you know, churches today, uh, we're talking about how we're spiritually gifted. Uh, but I want to kind of start out by talking about how churches' organizational leaderships structures work. Because I think sometimes a church that has uh, really good leadership can in fact get in the way of letting its members put their spiritual gifts into use and into practice. What I mean when I say that is, is that over history, um, churches have often found ways in their leadership structure to take some of what Scripture says about how your church should be set up organizationally and with, with leaders, and some of what um, our world does in its own practices of leadership and organization, and it kind of blends them together. And so you have some churches that, that while still using Bible words, are really set up more like a corporation, where the lead minister is more like a CEO who kind of uh, casts a vision and does a lot of the administrative stuff, and uh, the elders might function uh, as uh, the board of directors, who in fact go and hire the CEO and can fire him if he does anything wrong. Um, and then you have kind of the vice presidents, which are underneath the elders, and that's kind of your deacons, and they're actually the ones that run the ministries and handle the affairs of things. And, and we can sometimes run the risk of looking more like a corporation than the New Testament church. And you might also see some churches that function more like uh, a government-type system, where uh, our, actual, our government is set up to where the president is supposed to kind of just be a figurehead without much power, and he talks a lot, and people choose whether or not to listen. And so the preacher might be like that at some churches. Don't laugh. It's not funny. Um, and the elders in this example function kind of like the senate, the, the senior body of leadership, and the deacons are the junior body of leadership. And uh, in some churches, that can cause problems, and they still send bills back and forth to each other, and they can't agree on anything. Um, you could have that as a church organizational leadership structure. And then there's some churches, we, you don't see this one much in Churches of Christ because we don't have kind of the regional leadership, but it's more royal in its, its structure, where you have someone who's uh, kind of the, the head over a regional set of churches, maybe it's a bishop or, uh, or a council, uh, and they appoint leaders to go to the local congregation and to rule over them and, uh, and to be in charge for as long as they're there. And if the church eventually has an uprising and gets rid of their guy, then they go back to the kind of regional person who sends someone else. And it's uh, it's more um, like a royal system. It's an older type way of doing these things. And all of these things are uh, organizational leadership structures that are hierarchical in nature. And it's unfortunate that, that the PowerPoint's not up there because my pronunciation of this is going to continue to get worse as I move through the sermon. Uh, but hierarchy and systems that have a hierarchy are ones that have power structures. 
They move uh, power to the middle, to the core of people, and then they push it up towards those who are over the others. You have leaders and you have followers. And all of these systems have uh, some people who are the leaders who are trying to get the followers to follow them. And, and again, my sermon today is not actually about church leadership structure, but I want to kind of make the point that sometimes when we get into these systems with these models of leadership that are rooted in the world, we can get in the way of how the Spirit intends things to be in churches. That if we really kind of uh, begin to look into this, these systems are about providing power, leadership, and responsibility to the few at the top and make followers out of the many who are at the bottom. And there's a problem with this because the church was not designed to be a hierarchy where it has power structures. It wasn't designed to be a democracy either where all are equal and the same and, and have just one vote and you make decisions that way. The church was not designed to be a meritocracy. A uh, meritocracy is where uh, if you're successful in one area or if you've done great things, maybe in business or at home or in the world, uh, if you've done great things in other areas of your life, then based on that, you get more authority and power at, at church. The church is not designed to be any of those systems. The church was designed to be a pneumatocracy. A pneumatocracy. I don't think that's actually a real word, but it's a Greek word. And in Greek, you can just smash ideas together and call them words. Right, Bill? It's what makes Greek kind of beautiful. Uh, the word pneuma in Greek uh, it has a P at the beginning. It's silent. But the word pneuma in Greek means spirit, Holy Spirit. And then tocracy uh, has the idea of, of governed by, organized by, led by. And so democracy is governance by all. Meritocracy is governance by your merits. Spiritocracy is a group that is governed by the Spirit. Oh, yeah. oh, and this is different from the other forms of governance that the church sometimes places on itself for the convenience of being functional. And it's not entirely wrong that we find ways to say, okay, how do organizations work in the world that we live in? And we go and find those things, and we find ways to make Christianity work in culture. But when we let culture dictate how the Spirit functions in us and among us, we're in a different kind of problem. We've gotten in the way of what God's trying to do in His church. So the Holy Spirit in a pneumatocracy gives gifts in different amounts to all of the people that are part of the body of believers. And it gives them gifts based on uh, their ability to use those gifts for the kingdom. And it gives them gifts based on the way that God made them and, and on their personalities and their uniqueness. And it gives them gifts for the purpose of being able to build up the church, the body of believers, to fullness and maturity. Every single one of us in this room has been given spiritual gifts. And we're going to get into some of the texts that talk about this in, in a moment. And you may be thinking, but I'm just a new Christian. I'm not ready to lead. I'm not asking you to be in charge of the church. We're pushing against that. And what I'm saying is God gave you a gift. And he gave it to you so that you could bless me. And God gave me gifts. And he gave me those gifts so that I could be a blessing to you. And so that we could all be blessings to one another. Exactly. And so when you look at a church that's, that's hierarchical in nature, 
The way that a church that's hierarchical deals with the problem is it says, uh-oh, we've got a problem over here. Something has gone wrong. Who has the authority and the power to deal with this problem? And then you go find someone in your organizational leadership chart, and you take them, and you say, hey, you're in charge of this because you're in charge of this. But a church that's a spiritocracy, a pneumatocracy, says we've got a problem. And then it says who at this church has been gifted by the Spirit or in how God created them or the things God has put them through in their life to address this the best. And you might say, well, they're not in charge of that ministry. I said, well, tell the Holy Spirit. He's the one who gave them the power to deal with it. Why shouldn't they be the one dealing with it and addressing it and meeting that need? God has prepared them for just a moment such as this. The pneumocratic church isn't leaders convincing followers to go with them in a direction that they've chosen. A church that is guided by the Spirit and is empowering people to lead out of their giftedness is a church that, that instead is pushing people into positions where they can use all the gifts that God's given them. And collectively, by mutually blessing one another, they begin to move in the direction that the Spirit is guiding them and leading them as a community. And you don't have to sell each other on where to go if the Spirit is moving in you and through you and you're serving one another and blessing one another and you're going in the direction that God's calling you to. Now, is this just easy? Like, okay, now from now on, we're just doing this. No. It takes habits, it takes formation, it takes recognition, of, recognition by every one of us that we have a gift and that we have to start actually putting it into use. And, and this isn't a new idea. Uh, Jesus is constantly pushing against power structures in his ministry. And he's constantly pushing against people that are trying to step up by stepping on others. And the apostles gave him plenty of opportunities to do this. There's dozens of times uh, throughout the scripture that he has to talk to them and say, quit arguing about which of you is going to be the greatest. Aren't you paying attention to how I'm doing my ministry? I'm never trying to exalt myself. I'm constantly the one who is serving. If you want to be in my seat, you need to know that it's not a seat that is in pursuit of self-glory or the glory of others. It's about service. It's about giving. It's about emptying. So in Luke 22, this is one of those occasions. And if you don't know much about Luke, it's, it's, it's a fairly long book, but Luke 22 is towards the end. They should have figured this out by now. They still haven't figured it out. And a dispute also arose among them. This is talking about the apostles. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Jesus says, listen, you guys understand that I'm the greatest. I'm the Son of God. I'm the Messiah. And the greatest one sits at the table, right? And they go, yeah, of course. He says, then why am I serving? 
And the question that's asked there is answered by this, I'm serving so that you guys can figure out how to quit arguing about how to get to the head of the table and start being the person who's putting food on it for others. He's trying so hard to teach them this, and they just can't get it. And that makes sense, because we struggle to get it too. It's a hard teaching. It's a hard teaching to be called to service and sacrifice. But Jesus is doing exactly that. And I can't even... I, I, I wish I knew how they were... I love that they were arguing a dispute arose among them. Um, it would be interesting to know what criteria they were using to sort one another out. Um, don't you think Peter was like, you know, I walked on water. And then the other 10, you know, 11 were like, yeah, and then you sunk. Um, you know, one of them would have been like, hey, remember that day that, that we got in trouble for not having enough faith to serve all the people and we brought the food back? I brought back the least food. I think I'm the best servant. I got more food out than you guys did and you had more leftovers. I'm the best. Um, I, I don't know how they sorted that out. Um, and maybe by age, I'm the oldest. No, that doesn't matter. Um, but they start arguing. Jesus tells them, you see the kings and rulers of the Gentiles and you see how they treat people. And this isn't like hypothetical kings. We know who these rulers are. In the world that Jesus is living, you're talking about uh, Egypt's rulers, the kings and pharaohs of Egypt. In, the, in Jesus' time, we're talking about the Caesars. In Jesus' time, we're talking about the Greek uh, leaders that are, are developing the beginning of modern democracy. Those seeds are being sown in the world where Jesus is doing his ministry. And he looks at all of those different government systems. He says, listen, you look at any of the Gentiles. And their kings are trying to step on others to exalt themselves. Some of these kings that are over the Gentiles declare themselves to be gods. And they ask to be worshipped. And Jesus says, listen, you're not, if you're my follower, you cannot be like that. Because isn't that essentially what the apostles are doing? Hey, when this son of God leaves room for one of us to get on his throne, who gets to sit on the throne of the son of God? That's the argument. Jesus says, that's not how you work in this kingdom. Why not? Because I'm the king and I don't work that way. Haven't you been paying attention? The ruler among you should serve, should be like the youngest, should be like the least. That's who is the greatest. And if you don't believe me, watch me. I was born in a manger to a small family that went through all kinds of problems and lived through uh, certainly times of poverty and, and lack. God provided for them over and over again, but he experienced life in the manger and life in the carpenter shop, not life in a royal palace. Jesus grew up and he served others. He lived without a home, uh, without the comforts of family. He was constantly on the road, uh, depending on the, the generosity and benevolence of others to fund his ministry and to provide all that he needed as he traveled, depending on the hospitality of others. He served, he healed, he ministered to, he had compassion on the least of these. Over and over again, Jesus demonstrates what it looks like to be a follower in his kingdom. You live like the king. And when he talks about being the least in the kingdom, his point is, I, I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't been doing all along. Why do you think that if you are to be the greatest, you're going to live so differently than me. 
And when you have a body of believers, a community of, of faith, a church that comes together and starts to live into this teaching, that if all of the, the members of, of, a, of a church are not interested in stepping on others to exalt themselves, they become interested in washing one another's feet and meeting one another's needs and giving food to the hungry and blessing each other in all these different circumstances. It solves so many problems and challenges because you're, you're interested in putting the needs of others above your own needs. Paul just has this vision that if a church could ever get to where it's about others' needs more than self-needs, that it would become this transformational community of people that are being transformed in the image of Christ and changing the world. And so he calls people to this over and over again. And it works because not only does this people of become mutually beneficial and blessing one another, but each one of us has been given different gifts. And there's images like a body that has different parts that do different things that's in the New Testament. And there's images like each one of us is a stone in the temple, that by ourselves we're just a rock, but together we become a church where people can come and experience God's presence and where God's presence dwells among us. But each of us is unique, and each of us has been given different gifts, different abilities, different things that we're good at. And we've also been given different weaknesses. We don't ever talk about that, but it's true. The reason that your gifts matter to me is that I'm bad at some things. And then there's other areas that that you're bad at that I can be a blessing to you in those areas so that together we become the whole becomes so much more than the sum of its parts. It's the way God set up the church. So in Ephesians chapter 4, Verses 7 through 13. Turn over there. I don't have it marked. And you can turn over there too, so you can have something to do while you're watching me do this, since it's not on the screen. But in Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 7, it says this. But to each one of us, this is right after a passage where Paul's talking about the importance of unity in the church and the importance of unity in the body. And and then he says, after he calls them to unity, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, "When when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's a passage about the spiritual gifts that God gives the church, and and Paul, as he's describing how we got these gifts, uh, goes back to, there's that part there in uh, verse 8, where there's that section that's kind of offset in quotes in most of your translations, and he says, that's why it says... When he ascended on high, he took many captive and gave gifts to his people. That's a quote from the 68th Psalm, the 18th verse, if if you want to go back and look at it later. But here's what's really interesting about his quote of that Psalm, is that he doesn't say what it says. 
Paul changes the words, and he does it on purpose. There's no chance that Paul the rabbi doesn't know the words to the 68th Psalm, the 18th verse. He knows them, and he changes them deliberately. And here's what uh, Psalm 68, 18 says. It says, when you ascended on high, and this is a psalm that's talking about God ascending to Mount Zion and and taking residence in the temple. And, And he goes in the temple, and as he ascends into the temple, the people are going to, listen to this, when he ascends on high, he took many captives, and you received gifts from the people. God receives gifts as he ascends into the temple on Mount Zion. Why does God receive gifts? Because he's worthy of praise and honor and sacrifice. And it's right for the people to say, God, you are good and we shower you with gifts. But Paul says, here's what happens when Jesus ascended on high. He took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Isn't that so like King Jesus? To instead of, at the moment that that he is ascending, at the moment that everyone in all of creation should bend their knee and bow and declare that he is Lord and shower him with gifts, he says, no, 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 I've got something for you guys. No, 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 yes, you can bless me, but here's what you need to know. Your gifts and your offerings that you give me in your worship and in your adoration and in your giving and your generosity and your care for the poor, those gifts are great, but you cannot outgive me. And so when Jesus ascends, he's not a king that's ready to hoard up all the wealth like those who rule over the Gentiles do. He's a king who looks on us and says, you can't imagine how much I'm going to give to you. And then you've got to be thinking, well, what kind of gifts is Jesus going to give us? Is it some of that heavenly pavement, which I guess is gold or whatever? I don't know. It's not. The gifts, Paul tells us, that he gives us are he gives to the church some who are teachers, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors. And in another place, Paul has a different list when he's talking not about the the gifts that Jesus gives us when he ascends, but he's talking about the gifts that the Spirit gives us when the Spirit descends. Jesus tells the apostles, it's good for me to leave so that the Spirit can come. Because when the Spirit comes, he's going to give you gifts and you're going to do even greater things than I've done. Well, what are the things that the Spirit is going to give us? In 1 Corinthians 12, he's got a list that's kind of in two sections. He says wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, discernment of the spirits, speaking and interpreting in different kinds of tongues or languages. Farther down, he adds to that list some who are good at helping, some who are good at guiding. So I don't have have time to go plumb this list and all of the different gifts in here, but what I want you to see, and and I don't think this list is exhaustive either. We know people that have been given gifts by the Spirit in abundance that aren't on this list. And do you think that just because they're not on this list, you can look at God and be like, hey, you didn't include it on the list, so I don't have to use it for your kingdom. I don't think so. The list is giving us an idea of just how many gifts and abilities and responsibilities come with the gifting that Jesus gives us when he ascended and the Spirit gives us when he descends to live in us and among us. We all have 
gifts. When Christ ascended, he gave us gifts. When the Spirit descended, he gave us gifts. When God created you, Moses one time says, God, I'm not that good at talking. And God says, I know how good you are at talking. I gave you your tongue. I gave you your mouth. I created your ability to speak. I know the limits of it, and you're not doing anything that with me you aren't capable of doing. And that's so true for each one of us. God created, Jesus ascended, the Spirit descends, and in all of those things, God is giving us the gifts and abilities that every one of us can be involved in the blessing and the mutual benefiting of one another in his family. The hierarchical church pushes power to the middle and then up to the top. The Spirit-led church pushes gifting and ability and power and responsibility down and then out to the fringes. And it recognizes that we all need each other and the different things God has given us in, in the creation, the ascension, and the descending of the Spirit. In each of those moments, we're given something that God wants us to use to bless the church. And so if you're here today and your takeaway is, I don't think that God did that in me. God failed when he made me to give me any gift that could be a blessing to anyone else. That's what you have to say if you think that you don't have anything to contribute to the family of God. And if that's what you want to say, you can do it. You can make an appointment, come into my office, and I'm going to prayerfully prove you wrong. God gave you a gift to bless other people. He just did. And, and now here's what you might need to realize is that it's possible that our master, King Jesus, gave you some talents and said, I'm going to be away for a while. And to some of us, he may have given one talent or five talents or ten talents. And he said, I want you to take these and use these and grow these while I'm away for the benefit and glory of the kingdom. And I'll be gone for a while. You don't know how long, but while I'm gone, you use these and take care of them as if I were still here doing it myself. Right. And I'll tell you, it, it, when you read the story as a kid, I think you go, man, the poor one-talent guy only got one talent. I can tell you as an adult, the ten-talent guy has a lot more responsibility to do because of the Spider-Man principle, right? To great, with great power comes great responsibility. So we can kind of sympathize for those 10 talent people. But these three people in this parable that Jesus is telling, they're given different gifts. And in some ways it's money, and in some ways it's abilities, and in some ways it's time, and it could be relationships. It could be just the family that you were born into, maybe one of the greatest blessings you've ever been given. And you can find a way to share that with someone. But God gives us all of these talents, and he says, I'm going away for a while. And while I'm gone, you take care of these on my behalf and for my good purposes. Right. And when the master comes back and he says, I'm back and I want to see what you did with what I gave you while I was gone. There are some of us in the church who are going to have to go out in our backyards and dig a little hole to find the gifts God gave us. And dust them off. And bring them to King Jesus and say, Jesus, you gave me this, and I'm sorry it's dirty, but I didn't want to use it. I was doing other stuff, and so I just put it somewhere safe. Here's what you gave me. I haven't touched it. It's all here. And Jesus says to that 
worker, you should have given it to the bankers because even though they pay terrible interest, it was true then, it's true now, no interest rates at the banks, it would have been better than just digging it and digging a hole and putting it in your backyard. I would rather have trusted it to a bank than have given it to you. Throw this servant out where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and give it to one of the others who's going to use it for the kingdom. God's given you a gift. Don't bury it in the backyard. Because there are some of us here that have a need that your gift can meet. You have a blessing that currently for some of us is a lack. And it's buried in your backyard when God gave it to you so that you could benefit the church in this mutual serving and benefiting and blessing of one another that that removes the need for authority and power structures because we're all just these people that are letting the Spirit work in us and through us and among us. And if if you're here, and I don't want to give you a challenge like this and not give you a first step. If you're here and you're thinking, well, what's the first step to getting my talent out of the hole and putting it into use for the kingdom? We're constantly coming up with ministry ideas and things to do. This year we're doing it on fourth Sundays with our Bridges ministry. Just ways for you to connect with other people, to connect with God, to connect with the world, and just let the Spirit do its work in your involvement. But we also need people... This is kind of the authoritarian structure, right? If all of the ideas of service and ministry and connection that we're getting are coming out of the other end of that building where we have a church office, then we're getting in the way of letting you find your spiritual gifts and come up with ways that God can use you to come up with new ministry. I would love to have members calling every day saying, I've got an idea for a ministry I want to do at Northwest to help us connect with one another, to use the gifts God gave me. And we'd say, well, we're full this month. How's next month? We need to find times to do it. But everyone else called me, so I don't know what to do about your call. We'll push it back and find a way to get you using the gifts that God gave you so you don't go put them back in a hole. We need this. Space is there if you're willing to pull your gift out and use it to be a blessing to others, a blessing to the kingdom. And God tells us that when we are willing to do that, even a little bit of faith to do those things grows from a mustard seed into the largest plant. God will provide great increase if you'll just step out in faith, step out in willingness. When we can become a thriving spiritocracy, a pneumatocracy of people gifted by the Spirit, blessing one another. If you're here this morning and you want to be a part of the kingdom of God and you've never done that today, or if you need to respond to this message in any other way, please come forward this morning. As we Number 674. All right. All right.